there. Now I'm on. We continue with our gospel reading from Matthew. Verses, uh, chapter 26, verses 36 through 46. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you could not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he said to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Here ends our reading. Good morning again, everybody. That was weak. Come on, we can do better than that. I've been drinking coffee. Good morning. Glad to see everybody here. My name is Patrick Cherry, the pastor here at Christ the Word Church. And for those tuning in online, a special welcome as well. We are in week five of this season in the church, because the church, as we've learned and talk a lot about, has its own calendar. In fact, it has its own start date. It has its own new year that starts at a different time, because we just like to be different. But uh, this season that we're in right now is a season of Lent, and it's the 40 days leading up to Easter, technically 46, but Sundays don't count. So that's how we get 40. And uh, we are in week five of Lent And believe it or not, starting next Sunday, we enter Holy Week, where we have the the week leading up to Easter and a lot of important observances there. And in fact, we'll be having our own Monday Thursday service, uh, not this coming Thursday, but the following Thursday at our house for anybody who wants to join. We're going to do soup and salad 
and spend some time in fellowship, share around the table, and we will share communion for the first time since we began Lent, because we've, if you've noticed, we've been fasting from communion throughout Lent, and that'll be the first time that we come back again to have communion and share the Lord's Supper. So you're all invited to attend and join us for that. But we have been talking throughout the season of Lent, this idea that Lent is a season of preparation and uh, contemplation, preparing yourself for Easter, also taking a hard look at who we are as people, as sinners. And this series, Unburdened, is all about looking at this clutter in our lives, because we all have clutter that burdens us and weighs us down. And so we've been looking at how can we unburden our lives so that we can be more open to God in our lives. Because how often do we shut God out because we just have too much stuff? And so we've been talking about that, and we've discussed some things about uh, me, myself, and I last week, about how we can be so focused on ourselves that we get in the way of God. We've, what else have we talked about? We've talked about being busy, how busy we can be, our schedules. What else? Anything stick out? Or it just hasn't been that memorable of a series? You weren't there. Noise. We talked about the noise. That's right, the noise in our life. Well, this Sunday we're going to talk about convenience. But before I go any further, I need some guidance from the Holy Spirit. I need some prayer. So let's go to God in prayer. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day, this opportunity we have to gather in your name to worship you. It is all about you. But Lord, we also recognize in our worship of you that we, we need you desperately. We need a word from you. We need to have you constantly speaking into our lives. And so we pray that as we take this time and worship to listen to what you would have to say to us, that you would silence any voice in us but your own. As we look deeper into your scriptures and into your word, Lord, we pray that you'd prepare our hearts and our minds to receive that word, that you'd open them for us. We pray for those sitting around us, that you would open their hearts, their minds, their ears, their spirits to receive your word. And Lord, I pray that as my words stray from yours, may they fall away and quickly be forgotten. But may your word, your truth, and your promise remain upon our hearts forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray, and all the saints said, amen. I remember when I first set foot into my very first Super Walmart. Does anybody ever remember when Super Walmart started, some of the older people in here? Some of the younger people, that's all you've ever known if you've ever been in Super Walmart. But it was when the Super Stores first began. It was, it was a revolution, and Walmart was one of the earlier adapters, or at least they were so widespread, that was the first experience many of us had to a Super Store. I mean, in, a, in my small hometown in South Boston, Virginia, there weren't many options. In fact, the whole county and neighboring counties came to our Wally World. And, and there was something about stepping into a Wally World on steroids. I mean, imagine you're walking into the store, and in the same store, you can buy paper for your printer, a CD from the bargain bin. Kids, CDs are these little discs that hold, hold digital music before we could download it on the internet and steal it for free. So CDs, printer paper, a house plant, prescription drugs, and milk and every grocery you could think of, all in one stop, under one roof, in one store. And I just remember thinking, how convenient. 
Can you get more convenient than that? There have been convenience stores for a long time, but they just they had a limited variety of things. And here at Super Walmart, you could buy everything you needed in one place. You didn't have to go to five different stores anymore. You went to one. Do you like convenience? Who here likes convenience? Show of hands, like convenience? Absolutely. Because if I asked the question, the, the inverse of that, if I asked who likes being inconvenienced, who would raise their hands? Yeah, nobody. I mean, who wants to be inconvenienced? Who, who says, inconvenience me as much as possible? I want to waste as much time, as much money, and as much sanity as possible. Keep your convenience to yourself. Who says that? Nobody says that. Nobody wants to be inconvenienced. And I have to say that convenience took on a new meaning when Kate and I became parents. Parents in the room, I mean, convenience, absolutely. I mean, because it is a huge deal to take kids to a store with you. You're lucky if you get one stop. Because there's the loading in the car, there's the unloading, there's the grabbing a cart, there's a sanitizing the cart. If you have a kid that has issues with his immune system, you have to sanitize the heck out of that cart. And so we sanitize the cart, we get the kids in, we dispense snacks. You pick up snacks that inevitably fall to the ground because I don't like being one of those people that just kicks it under the shelf because I know that it gets nasty under there, but that's just me. And so you're dispensing snacks. You're putting stuff in the cart. You're taking stuff out of the cart that little hands have put into the cart. And then you got to go check out, and they're still grabbing stuff off the racks, and you're trying to keep them away from that in the conveyor belt because they want to put their hand on the conveyor belt. And it's just, oh, my gosh. It makes even the best parents go insane. And so you're lucky if you get one stop. So you want a store that has everything from prescription drugs to a house plant. You need that kind of place. We need convenience. And I want as much convenience as possible. We've seen dramatic shifts in convenience in our culture, haven't we, over the years? I mean, even in my lifetime, I've seen dramatic shifts in convenience. I remember our first family's TV, the first remote we had were us, the kids. You know, go change the channel. Okay. And then we got remotes, and then you didn't even have to get up unless you lose the remote, and then you don't want to get up to find the remote. (laughs) Apple TVs, by the way, you can control from your phone. I've just learned that. And then TV dinners. Remember in the 80s when TV dinners became all the craze? They'd existed before then, but it was in the 80s that the first microwavable TV dinners happened. I remember fighting mom and saying, I want a, I want a lean, uh, kid's cuisine or whatever those things were. They had the nasty little brownie thing. and yeah, yeah. yeah, always overcooked because how could you cook everything all together? But it was awesome because we put it in the microwave and then instantaneously it came out. And as kids, we lacked taste buds. And so there's this shift to convenience. There's, everything has moved to being disposable. I mean, even our cell phones now, because it's all about convenience. And this started in the 80s, too, because that's when paper products became all the craze of, you know, we just put it on a paper plate and then just toss everything. Look at our landfills now because of that. But convenience stores have had to switch to being open 24-7. Isn't it amazing how many stores are open, even on holidays now? When it used to be, you reached an hour and you were done. I'm sorry, you needed diapers in the middle of the night? Too bad, got to wait till the morning. But now, there's so many stores open 24-7. And then online shopping. It doesn't get much more convenient than that. 
You can shop from your couch in the middle of the night in your PJs. Of course, being in my PJs has never stopped me from going to Walmart. We live in a culture of convenience, don't we? We want it as convenient as possible. We want our food fast, good, and ready to go. We want our videos on demand. Because, again, these kids will never know the joy of going to a video store to see if the movie you wanted to rent was even available. They won't know the pain of looking behind the box and not seeing a VHS because they're all checked out. In what ways do we search for convenience? What ways do we look for convenience? Where do we need convenience in our lives? You see, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for a search for efficiency and convenience. You can ask Kate. She's married to me. I'm all about efficiency. In fact, I drive her crazy sometimes because when I'm doing something, I don't want to be messed up because I have the efficient way to do it, the most efficient way possible I know. It sounds a little egotistical, but I do. <laughs> Hush, my dear. This is my time to speak. I'm going to pay for that when I get home. But I'm all for efficiency. I'm all for convenience. But I wonder, can convenience ever be a burden? Can we ever take it too far? Let's bring this question of convenience home to us. Should a church be convenient? That's a big question, isn't it? A little nuance there. It's, 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 it's a little different than a yes or no. I mean, here I am. I'm a pastor and a church planter. I think about this question a lot. As I'm looking to our culture, how convenient should church be? Should a faith community be? Because on one side, we want to remove as many barriers as possible that stand between people having this life-changing relationship with Jesus experiencing this hope and healing that we talk about in our community. We want to remove as many barriers as possible. We want to contextualize the gospel. That doesn't mean we change the message. The message is timeless. The Jesus message does not change. The good news does not change. But how we deliver it, the method of delivering it, does have to change. So are we being students of our culture and learning about the different needs of each generation. Every generation, every culture has different needs, has different experience, different expectations, different presumptions. They're asking different questions than you may be asking. And so we have to consider how can we make it as convenient as possible for them to experience the message of Jesus and, and experience the impact of the kingdom of God. I'm getting there, Ellie. You're jumping ahead of me. You're jumping ahead of me. But then on the other hand, this is what you're talking about, Ellie. Can we make it too convenient? Because what are we communicating when we communicate this convenient church? Does a convenient church, an overly convenient church, lead to a convenient faith? And is faith meant to be Convenient. See, I recently saw this ad on the internet. 
And I just want to read a few of the quotes from this ad to you. Because of copyright, I didn't want to break and show it because it would have been really cool to show up the video, but then it would look like we're having a commercial in the middle of worship. But here are some of the quotes. I want you to listen to this. We try to make sure visiting us feels good so that people come back. We try to make our customers' lives easier and borrow as little of their time as we possibly can. Nowadays, we're a family, a big family with more than 15,000 stores around the world. Together, we will become the world's preferred destination for convenience and fuel, taking care of people's time and making it easier for everybody. This was an ad for Circle K, the gas station convenience store chain. Why did it catch my attention? Because I could just as easily see a church utilizing the same ad. I mean, listen, feel good, easier. We want to borrow as little of your time as possible. We're a big family, a big conglomerate with campuses nationwide and all over the world. We're the world's preferred destination for quick, convenient, spiritual fuel to get you through your week. You ever heard somebody say, well, I just got to go get my, my fix. I've got to go be fed so that I can get through the week. Yes, we all need to be fed. But is it really meant to be a drive through I'm all for removing barriers that stand between people and experiencing Jesus. But I wonder, are we being careful about what we communicate? About what we are even internalizing as followers of Jesus? Can a church of convenience beget a deep faith faith that transcends an immensely inconvenient life? It doesn't matter how many conveniences we have, life will be inconvenient, won't it? We're making great strides, but there's always going to be things that are going to inconvenience us. There's always an obstacle up ahead. If you're not in a valley now, you're either heading into one or you've been heading out of one. We're all going to experience that. And can being overly convenient lead to a deep faith? So as we approach Palm Sunday and Holy Week, it's hard not to consider the Garden of Gethsemane, the passage that Rachel read for us earlier. Jesus is clearly grieving what is to come and the weight of the moments that follow. So let's take a a closer look at that passage. So starting in verse 38, then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then what happens? And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? We don't really get Jesus' full tone here because we're not listening to him. We don't get body language, and probably most of us here don't know Aramaic, so we wouldn't even understand him if you were standing here talking to us. But can't you just sense in that passage his grief and even his frustration? There's almost a sense that he's looking at these beloved disciples who've been following him around all over God's kingdom, and he's looking at Peter and going, 
sorry to inconvenience you, Peter. Sorry to inconvenience you. Couldn't you just stay awake for a mere hour? I asked you to pray with me. But before we spend too much time knocking the disciples here, let's keep in mind these are the very men who left their livelihoods, who left the convenience of a life they knew for this unknown life following this itinerant preacher around the globe. People didn't do that. And so it's these individuals that we're talking about, these men who would later become martyrs for their faith to advance the message of Jesus. So this leads us to our first truth. An unburdened life is not an easy life. It's letting go of the temporary to embrace eternity. Because as we're listening about this, this message about convenience, you may be thinking of like, you know, what you said we're going to be unburdened. I wasn't expecting to come and be guilted by the pastor, because that's what you do, isn't it, pastor? You, you just guilt us? Why talk about this in a series of being unburdened? unburdened? Let me be clear on a few things. What we are discussing in unburdened is not about a life of ease. We're not talking about live the easy life. That's not the gospel message. It's about removing the unnecessary clutter that keeps us from living into our full potential in God. The stuff that clutters our hearts, our minds, and souls, and crowds out the Spirit of God in us. I never once claimed we're talking about a life of ease. I don't want to ever lead people in that direction. A life of faith is not a life of ease. Following Jesus doesn't mean everything suddenly just clicks into place and it's smooth sailing. In some ways, it does get harder. In a lot of ways, it gets harder. But that doesn't mean it's not worth our pursuit. I want something more for each and every one of you. Just as I want this for me. I want to experience an unburdened life with great purpose and great hope. That's what I want to experience, and that's what I want for each and every one of you. To want something beyond yourself. Something greater. The way to Jesus is not a convenient path. It's a path full of obstacles, challenges, turns and dark valleys. It brings us to great heights at times and will forever change your life. It's a path we cannot walk alone. We join with each other and we walk hand in hand with our God. It's the ultimate fulfillment of our designed purpose. And while we will not find ease, we can find peace. It may be far from convenient, but let's consider our second truth. A faith that requires little does little good. See, this is why we're talking about convenience in this unburdened life. And this is the danger that things can lead if we make things too convenient. Now, I'm not talking about, hey, let's go build a wall out front to make people scale it Spartan style to get into worship. Probably going to turn some people away. 
not the best thing. Though it would be kind of cool to have a Spartan wall out there, I should say, or jump over the flames, you know. But a faith that requires little does little good. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I quote him a lot because I admire the man. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this German pastor theologian from the earliest 20th century, he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And he puts it this way, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die, is what he says. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Doesn't that sound like a great invitation? Hey, come and die with me. Okay, sounds great. Let's do it. But he goes on to say this, grace at a low cost, is in the last resort simply a new law which brings neither help nor freedom. A faith that requires little does little good. It doesn't make a difference in your life. Grace at a low cost, it's not freedom. It doesn't help you. This is the danger of believing in and observing a faith of convenience. Jesus did not die for comfort, comfort, did he? I ran across this wonderful article written by a professor at Western Seminary, Ryan Lister. And in it, he talks about convenience and this comfort. He says, convenience, the worldly pursuit of ease, has become the enemy's battle cry, or better yet, whisper. In the war of our modern souls, Satan's strategy has morphed from direct opposition to subtle enticement. Don't we see that a lot in our culture? It's, it's all so subtle. He goes on to say this. In most American churches, the battle, of being, the battle is being fought with wireless routers, HDMI cables, and standing desks and lumbar supports rather than the lashes, stones, rods, and chains of old. Today, most of us in the West calculate our significance by our Facebook friend count, newest technology, iPhone notifications, or 401k. And then he says this, the enemy has recruited our own hearts to fight against us. The enemy has recruited our own hearts to fight against us. The problem then lies not with convenience, though we are talking about convenience, but with what our hearts make of it. What does your heart make of convenience? See, the dark appeal of temptation is to twist good things into idols. We've, talked, we, we've mentioned idols a lot, haven't we? And how we could take these really good things and they could become idols in our life. One of the idols I see so often in today's age is we turn our kids into idols. And kids are good things, at least most of the time, maybe half the time. But we love to just turn them into idols, and they become our sole pursuit. Is that how it was designed to be? No wonder so many empty nesters look at each other one day and realize they no longer know each other because the kids were the idol in their relationship. Good things become idols. Dark appeal of temptation is to twist those good things and idols. Convenience steps in front of God and steals His worship. The world's empty promises silently hijack our affections. We let cheap knockoffs of fulfillment obscure the true beauty of our nail-torn Savior. Let's be clear about something. Jesus didn't die 
a convenient death. Jesus didn't die a convenient death for a life of ease. There was nothing convenient about the way Jesus died. We can sense his torment in that conversation and his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's nothing easy about what Jesus was about to partake. He talks about the cup of wrath, and he's going to have to drink from this cup, and he doesn't want to do it. He realizes the pain, the anguish that awaits him, and he doesn't want to do it. Who would blame him? Who wants to take that cup? And we will be reminded in Holy Week of the extent of Jesus' torment, suffering, pain, and his brutal death. But it wasn't for nothing. Jesus didn't leave the eternal convenience of heaven for the fleeting conveniences of this world. His death has a deeper meaning, a deeper purpose. If Jesus wanted convenience, he would have stayed in heaven. He has the life up there, you know, he's got a throne right next to the Father. Cloud real estate, I guess there's clouds. We don't really know what heaven looks like, but that's how it's always depicted. So there's wonderful real estate in heaven, this cloud real estate. But Jesus left heaven. He stooped to our level to become one of us for a deeper purpose. And it wasn't for something so simple as a life of ease. Leads us to our third truth. Jesus' death unburdens us for a greater purpose. That's why he died, to free us for a greater purpose. That is the truth of the gospel. The good news is not that you're just forgiven, which is amazing news, but you're forgiven for a purpose. God has designed each and every one of us for more Don't you want more out of life? Isn't there an itching inside of you that just is constantly clamoring to want more? There's got to be more to this life because there is. There's more beyond this life, too. There's eternity. Jesus paid a high price for us, but for what? For us to live a life devoid of struggles, hardships, and purpose? Is nothing required of us? We were bought by costly grace, not a cheap grace like Bonhoeffer spoke of. We do not and cannot and will never be able to shoulder the cost of this grace. But it is this costly, nonetheless, grace. It's costly. We just did not pay it ourselves. Even though the price for our own failures, rebellion, and blatant disregard for our creator and our created purpose should be ours to bear. It's rightfully ours. Just as we sang in our song of confession earlier, we're due judgment. Just one wrongdoing fringes upon the law of God, and we deserve death. But someone else paid the price. Bonhoeffer goes on to say this in his, his book. Costly grace 
is the gospel which must be sought again and again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. It is a grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of His Son. You were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon His Son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered Him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. No great work has ever come easy. No great work has ever come easy. It requires focus, hard work, and dedication. Do you want to be a world changer? Do you want to help shape the world into what it can be? Do you want to have a faith that can weather the storms, and help you through all the hardships of life. I mean, who wants a faith that's just going to crumble when you hit a hard time? Yes, sign me up for that one. I'll take, I'll take the, the cheap faith that'll fail me when I need it most. Don't we want a faith that can weather the storms and help us through those hardships that are bound to come? Do you want to be close to a God who is far greater than your distress and with you when the storm wages? Jesus died that you might have more, know more, be more, and live for more. A faith of convenience will never take you there. Are you pursuing a shallow faith of convenience or a deep faith of sacrifice? Only you can answer that question for yourself. Jesus wants you to have a life and have it to the full, he says in Scripture. But are you willing to live the full life that he offers? If Jesus paid so high a price for our salvation, what do you think our response should be? Following Christ leads to something better than the world's temporary comforts. It leads us to a true and better rest. We know the end. The hard road leads to God himself. Your salvation guarantees an eternal world that outshines all the false conveniences of this world. But are we willing to live the inconvenient faith? Let us pray. Almighty God, we pray that you would help us to first break down all the barriers that stand between us and others hearing this life-changing message of Jesus, this good news of grace and love and forgiveness and hope and healing and purpose that he offers. But as we seek to share this message with others and remove those barriers, Lord, we pray that we would not convey a convenient faith. And we pray that we would not come to believe 
in a convenient faith. Help us, great God, to have courage and be bold in our faith, to live it inconveniently so that we might know the true peace we find in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.